Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast for our Christmas hymn conversation series. Today, Michael and I are joined by a very special guest. You know her as a worship leader extraordinaire here at Coastline. It is Christina Zorn, and Christina starts this whole conversation by telling us about the top 40 radio station she worked at in Detroit in the late 90s. It is quite a story. I'm very excited for you to hear that. And then we transition into talking about the merits of living in California during Christmas versus the merits of living elsewhere during Christmas. Then we talk about our song of the week, which is the first Noel. It's a simple song. It's a beautiful song. Conveys a lot of big, deep, meaningful truths in a very small package. And so we talk about that. We talk about what makes a Christmas song last throughout the ages. But we also talk about decorating Christmas trees and what kind of ornaments we like to use and stuff like that. So as with most episodes of the Coastline Covenant podcast, this one runs the gamut, but we all stay within the confines of Christmas, which is why you listen. So thank you for listening. And we will see you next week and every single week after that. Hello and welcome to an exciting episode of the podcast. I'm here with Michael, which makes it six out of 10 exciting. What do you think about that? (laughs) I mean, we just do so many of these, man. That's true. We do do this a lot, but it's, I mean, I'll give you a seven. But the fact that I'm here with you makes it like a 7.9. I I just said seven. You said 7.9. So if we want to average that out, it's close to seven, five, which is good. We're a C, we're a C, a C average of liking each other. As the Christmas season progresses, it gets a little bit I harder. just said that because I was mad that you called me a six. So you're saying deep, seven. deep in your heart, it's a 10? It's a 10. Yes, I agree. I agree. I just, you know what? You come in, you start the episode and you think to yourself, how am I going to get a rise out of Michael, who is generally the most even keeled person I've ever met in my entire Agreed. life? I don't think there's anything that could rile you up. What riles you up? My kids, Sequoia. Oh, okay. oh Sequoia. <laughs> Tell you. We talked about it recently, but when he took a header after Era's night Ugh. off the stage, Ugh. I thought, I really thought he was going to like expel his esophagus out of his throat. He was screaming so loud. <laughs> he was is not that happy. A, is that a common experience with children? You both have children. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially the third. Yeah. The third oh, boy. especially yes. the third. Yes. Well, Listeners, that that dulcet voice you are hearing is a friend of Coastline. I would say somebody who has become integral to the worship experience at Coastline, so much so that there was a Sunday recently, Michael, I think you were sick, right? And this person led solo with a piano player and a guitar player, I believe, and it was perfect. We sat around our Monday meeting and we were like, that was awesome. You guys. And so uh, it's high time we had her on the podcast, especially about Christmas songs. I'm very excited to have her. Please give a warm Coastline Covenant podcast welcome. Christina Zorn. Hello, Christina. How are you? I am well. I'm so excited to be here because my husband and I are huge fans of the podcast. Well, so this is quite an honor. This is this is the time you can shout them out. You can, you know, it's like a morning zoo radio where it's like, I want to shout out this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. <laughs> zoo radio. Do you guys, did you guys ever listen to like any morning radio shows on the way to work or school or anything? Uh, well, I worked in radio for seven years. Okay. So. <laughs> yes. How did that just happen? All right. Yeah. Tell me everything about yeah. working in radio. Here we go. What was the story? What was the station? What was the job? Well, it was... So my husband and I are both from Michigan and we grew up in in the Metro Detroit area. So home to Motown, the auto industry. Um, And I worked for, um, at the time, a, you know, top 40 station called Q95. Q95. um, A very famous DJ, Dick Purton and his morning crew. And he was a Marconi award winning uh, 
DJ, okay. uh, you know, morning show host. So it was like the morning show, you know, in Detroit at the time. And I got really lucky and, you know, got a job um, in advertising sales there. So oh that my was gosh. So cool. super cool experience back when radio was really, really fun. And, you know, everyone <laughs> would come back to the station on Fridays for happy hour. And it was, it was really cool. There should be a movie about that. I don't it, feel it like was, there's yeah. a good radio movie out there. I feel like we're in this era right now with like newspaper movies are kind of popular, but you don't see a good radio movie. Yeah. Who would play this DJ? What was his name? Uh, Dick Purton. Who would play him in the oh, movie? Man. I don't know. He, he was famous for his dark, thick mustache. So maybe like Google a, him. Um, you know, he had dark hair, thick mustache. I'm thinking Ned Flanders vibes right now, but I, that's, I'm sure that's not right. There he is. Oh. American radio yep. personality. Oh, that's him. Totally he is still alive. I would say he looks a little bit like Burt Reynolds. Yes. yes. Like if Burt Reynolds aged I was going to say way, Burt Reynolds, but Burt Reynolds isn't alive anymore. <laughs> no. Okay. So yeah, we can't get him in the yeah. movie, but he really, he really has a Ned Flanders vibe. Like Michael didn't know what he looked like before. If you're able to Google this, you should Dick Burton, D-I-C-K-P-U-R-T-A-N. Yes. He looks like Ned Flanders and Michael, you didn't know he had glasses and this man has the most Ned Flanders glasses. This picture is yes. him with a sweater and a collared shirt under it, much like Ned Flanders. This is incredible. I I am just obsessed with this idea of you being <laughs> working at a radio station. Was it um, top 40? So people were coming through, like artists were coming oh, through yeah, and promoting yeah. their stuff. What celebrities yeah. did you see? What, um, what big gosh. stars did you see? Like Dave Matthews Band came in. Okay. <laughs> just said some religious words here in this office. That's hollowed territory. If Sean were here, he would have a lot more questions than I would. Uh, what year was yeah. this, if you don't mind dating oh, yourself? Oh, gosh. This was... When was this? Like late 1989. Oh, wow. Maybe 1990. He's right on the cusp of becoming no, 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 super no, no, popular. No, 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 sorry. Okay, no, no, no. I'll stop. No, because I graduated. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> wrong, wrong decade. Uh, this would have been like late 90s. Okay, so yes, this is the late 90s of Dave Matthews yes. band. Oh my goodness. Yes. Wow. And then when Dick Purton signed a contract and jumped stations, then they brought in Danny Bonaducci. No way. Danny Bonaducci was the morning show host. And that, talk about some chaos. Yeah, I can't imagine. That, that was, is like, yeah, that sounds good. He was a trip. <laughs> for my generation or uh, people a little bit older than me, like maybe you, Michael, you could hear that name and it like is a footnote in your brain to like all of those VH1 reality shows, like the surreal life. Yes. <laughs> I love the yeah. 90s. I love the 80s. Like he was a staple of those. And to hear that you, yeah. you interacted with him in that radio space, that, 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 is that so period funny. was like, seriously, like, like a TV show. It really was. He mm. was, he was quite dramatic. It was, it oh, was yeah. very I interesting. Bet. I bet he had quite a childhood, quite an upbringing. What was Christmas like at the radio station? Oh, um, well we were, yeah, there's lots of events going on. Um, I, one particular, so after Q95, I went to the top country music station okay. in Detroit. And this was the height of like Garth Brooks and Faith Hill and Clint Black. And, and yeah. they all would come into the station. Oh not, not, not Garth, but I met Faith Hill. I met Clint Black, had lunch with him. Ooh. His, you know, his tour manager had to like pull him out of the studio because he wanted to play like another song. He's like, we got to catch a flight. Oh my gosh. Um, Leanne Womack. I mean, like every major artist would come into the station. That was the cool part was the pop versus the country, the country country artists would come and spend time. Yeah, they wanted to be there. They wanted to be there. They wanted to play. Um, they wanted to talk. They would, you know, and we would bring in fans and listeners and they would sit and sign anything and everything they brought. They Love were it. just the most giving kind, you know, artists. It was That was such a special time to be there at that station. Um, and then we would do... Um, 
there was there's a the Detroit Opera House, a beautiful old theater, and we would do a Christmas show right. there. So that was really special. And then one of the shows we did was the Dixie Chicks. Oh boy! And I just hung out backstage with them the whole night, and it was so awesome. Like, I am so awesome. A absolute chicks Dixie Dixie chicks Stan. Like my, yeah. I love them so much that it, you just said talk about hollowed. Famous they words in my heart. That's my amazing that's musicians, my thing. amazing young women at the time. Like just they were awesome. awesome. Just yeah. so great. Michael, what's your favorite country song? Now that we're talking about country a little bit. What hurts the most? That's your favorite because you play on guitar all the time. Yeah, it's my fave. It's like your little warm up song. It's my fave. That's that's Rascal Flats. Yes. I would say not nearly as talented as some of the people that you just mentioned. Hundred percent. And I'll go on record you saying are that. Not I would stand on their coffee table. <laughs> well, and tell okay. Them that. Here's what I think. I. Th I think that Rascal Flatts, uh, their recordings are incredible. Yeah. It's pristine. It's, yes. it's, it's too perfect. polished. It's, it's too perfect. very polished. And then when you hear them live, which I have. I have to have seen them live. real not great. It's, I don't remember it being bad. kind of a letdown. Kind of sloppy? Yeah, like at least my experience. Uh -huh. It was an outdoor thing at Irvine Meadows, which I don't think exists anymore. No, yeah. I probably saw them on the same tour as you did. I was a freshman in college and I went to school in San Diego and San Diego has a huge country population. I think it's like the Temecula bleeding over to San Diego. And so huge country acts come yeah. through San Diego and Rascal Flats was one of them. So you're from Michigan. Do you miss the white Christmas? No, I had, I had 40 years of that. I'm good. Oh my gosh. I'm good. I'm over it. I'm yeah, done. I'm, Couldn't I, be bothered. No, really. Like, and it was really how God moved us out here. And it was the last winter. My husband at the time had a job where he traveled quite a bit. And so he's out of town for seven. And, he, and it was to Europe most of the time. So seven, eight days at a time, he'd be gone. I'm home with three little kids by myself Oof. for eight days straight. And the last trip, he had to go to Munich in December. Oh my and gosh. it snows like seven inches. And I'm sick. I have 102 fever. My my baby Jack at the time had 100, you know, 102 fever as well. And I have to go outside and shovel the snow. And there's no one to watch the baby, so I have to bundle him up. He's in an umbrella stroller, all wrapped up with blankets. I am sick as a dog, and I'm shoveling the driveway of six and seven inches of snow. And I'm like, Jesus, I cannot do one more winter. I can't. I can't do this. I know I'm from here. I know, you know, our whole family is here, but I can't live here anymore. I'm I'm done. I was like, so like you need to do movie. something, Lord. You need to do. And he answered that prayer because that spring, my, you know, Taryn's boss said, what do you think about moving to Los Angeles? And I says, how fast, how, how quickly can we go? I'm done. I can't do it. I want to visit winter. I don't ever want to live in it again. That is a horror <laughs> story. I cannot imagine the, the list you have to go through in your head as a mother of like, what's more important right now? Yeah. Keeping this kid alive and safe and keeping myself healthy or the snow and the fact you have to choose the snow Ugh, is horrible that is a true genesis three moment of like yeah. we live in a fallen world the mental the weights case. of always planning of like okay well it's gonna snow tomorrow so i gotta get up half an hour early because i gotta start the car and i gotta scrape the windshield so what if the roads are really icy it's just the mental gymnastics you have to do the planning all the time and it's gonna take me 15 minutes to dress all the children and get everybody strapped into the car and like it's just oh I, yeah i don't miss that thumbs you know, down yeah, that last Christmas, good. <laughs> I literally like we woke up. Early, we always wake up early on Christmas. Our kids are nuts. And and we were done with all the festivities, breakfast, everything by at least like 930. Mm -hmm. And then we're we go on a walk. We walk out here. I know out 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 on the strand. OK, and we're looking over the beach and there's people surfing on Christmas yeah, Day. It's amazing. That is what we yes. experience here in yep. the South Bay. 
I don't know anything about shoveling anything really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. You can teach me a thing or two about shoveling. And I love to ski and like, I, I will, I love to go to the mountains. I love, you know, I do love the snow, but I just love to visit it now. And I like to come back to my Redondo home and enjoy Absolutely. the ocean and the beach and not having to wear, you know, 10 pounds of clothing all the time. Yeah. Christmas in the South yeah. Bay, the LA area, it's really interesting and unique. Is yeah. there a part of you guys though? And Christine, I think I already know your answer, but like, there's a little bit where like, I kind of wish it was colder i kind of wish that we could experience that hallmark that beautiful christmas or are you actually fine with it no i'm fine with it it gets cold enough well we have two dogs so we walk the dogs and at night you know it still gets down like in the 40s and low 50s not this year so plenty of you know i can wear my uggs and my cute little sweater and my little hat and and i'm good i don't have to like you know i you can still wear some of the winter things yes you know now we've adjusted now to the like you know, 52 is cold to me now. It so is. Yeah, that's I'm freezing. Good. If it's 52, I feel it in my bones. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel like for me, it's Christmas is like, I, it's, I feel like uh, the grandparent of Christmas who can kind of, you know, hop in. And then when it's, when it starts being a little crazy and I just give it back <laughs> to, <laughs> to Minnesota. <laughs> oh, oh, I had, I had no, you, you lost well, me a little I'm bit saying, with that. What but I'm I get saying it now. is I get that we, so me and Caitlin's parents, they live up in Sacramento area in Vacaville and it's way colder yep. and there's not really snow. I mean, there has been snow, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it doesn't stick that kind of thing. Um, but we, you know, every, every black Friday we go up there and cut down a tree and whatever. And there's snow up in the mountains where we go. And then at their house, it's, it's cold on Christmas as well. And we're up there for both Thanksgiving and Christmas. So for me, I get to go up, experience some cold and then I get to come back home. Absolutely. My mom lived in Minnesota a couple years ago. She's from Minnesota. Then she moved back for a while. She's back here now, but Megan and I visited her one Christmas. I think it was Christmas, 2020. Mm -hmm. Like we were like triple masked on the flight, like face shield. We're like not getting COVID. We ended up getting it, but the next year. So we go to Minnesota and it's like historic lows and, I, I just was so silly because, you know, you dress up and you're like, this isn't that bad. And you can walk to Target and my mom lived downtown. So there's tons of fun stuff to do. And it's, it, you know, you can handle it for like a day or two. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I can live out here. Like, this is nice. I don't mind the, the cold. <laughs> then we go to Christmas dinner at my aunt and uncle's house. I'm talking to my uncle Carl. And I said, what's the coldest you've ever seen? Born, born and raised in Minneapolis. He's yeah. never, he's never moved anywhere else. And I said, what's the coldest you've ever seen? And he said, you know, last winter I, I looked at the thermometer. He's also a huge weather nerd. Coincidentally, mm-hmm. he's like, I have a little setup in the bathroom and it was minus 21 and I just felt abused. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, I don't want to live here at all. That sounds horrible. And it sounds like the weather kind of did the same thing to you with that moment with the fever and the shoveling. Oh, it sounds horrible. Yeah. So I think we can definitively say among the three of us, we've chosen the right place to yes, experience Christmases and the right place to live. mentioned that uh, you've been singing with us here at Coastline for a bit. Yep. What is your favorite Christmas song to sing? And what is your favorite Christmas song to listen to? And with that second question, you know, we can substantiate, we can, we can tease it out. It could be religious and then maybe like a non-religious mm-hmm. one. So your favorite one to sing, like it's on the cue sheet. You're like, yes, I love this song. And then listen to religious or otherwise. Mm. Probably Oh Holy Night. It's a classic. It's a fave. So good. Um, and Silent Night. Silent Night is 
you know, for me, like our first Christmas here as a family, when we moved here, um, that first church service, you know, candle service and everyone singing silent night together, you know, and, and, and having led it before too, and, and having that privilege, you know, being a worship leader to stand on stage and to see that beautiful view is yeah. such a privilege of everyone singing together, holding the candles. It's just, there's nothing to me like beautiful. that whatsoever. And it's, it is just such a privilege to be able to witness that moment at Christmas time to me is one like the most special thing. Right. Um, and then as far as like non Christian uh, song would definitely be the Christmas song or chestnuts roasting yeah. and fire that, you know, I was in a group, a singing group in high school that was made up of students from all different. Um, it was, you had to audition to get in and it's kind of like a show choir kind of group. And uh, that was the song that everyone wanted to sing for the solo. So we would always do a big Christmas show at a local university on campus. And, and you know, it was like two, three nights of performances. And uh, that was the one that everyone wanted to sing, you know. So that was that's that's definitely a favorite one to sing, too. And I bet you can remember every word of every song you sang in your choir, right? Oh, yeah. It's so funny. Michael <laughs> and I have talked about this. I sang choir in college as well. Oh, yeah. And it's weird how those the way that you learn these songs in yeah. choir, they stick in your brain forever. They do. And friend and former guest of the podcast, Mary Beth, and I talk about this all the time. She's a music teacher. She teaches kids. She has like a big Christmas play pageant every year. Actually, it might even be right now. And she talks about how the kids just, they, yeah. they glob onto that. They're like, oh, I can learn that. But like normal Classroom behavior, right? No chance. I remember <laughs> my first grade Christmas performance. We, you know, the, you know, the, all the little first graders, you know, get together and they, you know, you do your little. I remember the songs we we learned. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I remember right? exactly what we sang. <laughs> it's so funny. And then let me ask you guys: This is people who play worship a lot. Like, is there a part of you where you see a song on a cue sheet? Like, I don't know this song. Like, even though you know you've played it, like I forgot it. Like, I don't, I don't know yeah. this song. <laughs> Michael, for you, are you ever like, I picked this song, but I don't really know why because I don't know it very well. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like I heard it for the first time this week and then I'm like, oh, I like that song the first time I heard it. Put it on the cue, the cue sheet. Yeah. And then by the time Sunday comes, you know, five days later, six days later, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Like, how does that song start? Like, wait. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know this song that well. I, I need to rehearse a little yeah, more. Yeah. I find that when I play with you, Michael, when I play bass, I'll have like rehearsed at home and played a bunch. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. sick. And then I'm up there when it's time to perform and I'm like, or time to perform, do worship, whatever. I'm like, I don't know how to play this instrument. Like I, had, someone, I, I had six days to learn this. Somebody just <laughs> zapped me here. I, I just woke up from a dream. Like, what is this instrument in my hand? I have no idea what I'm doing. That is so funny. It's such a funny common experience we all have. Uh, what are your guys' uh, relationship thoughts, initial feelings about the song we're going to talk about today, which is the first Noel, which I will say, I think out of this year's group of songs is going to be my favorite. I really love this song. I like the story behind it, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts from maybe a worship perspective and then also just from a personal perspective. What do you think about the first Noel? Um, I, I, I really like this song. Yeah. Um, this song holds a lot of nostalgia for me, much like most of the songs that we've done on oh, the, yeah. the podcast, to be honest. But it, it just, um, it's, a, it's a folk song. You know, it's mm. telling, it's telling yeah. a story. It's a storytelling um, song. Yeah. And so it's, it's not necessarily like, like I think my, my favorite Christmas song, I've said this before on, on previous years, but my favorite Christmas song is Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Yeah. Because it's, it's like an injunction to worship. Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Yeah. Oh Come Let Us Adore Him. Right. Um, so it's this, this, this like call to worship, which as a worshiper, as a worship pastor, like 
it just speaks to my heart. But this one speaks to me in a different way because it, it's not really, it's not really, you know, proclaiming like these big grand theological truths. And it's not really, um, you know, calling us to worship. It's more just telling a story. It's like as if yeah. someone was standing up, um, you know, doing doing like a, a scripture reading of the, the Christmas story, mm. but in like a truncated version um, and set to song. And it, I, I don't know. I just think there's a place for that. There's a place for let's tell the story of Christmas. So um, I really like the song and the the tune just gets stuck in my head. And I really, really like catchy. the in yeah. sync version that I first listened to when oh. I was in high school. That's a really fun. That's they're good. Oh, I have to check that one yeah, out. Yeah, that didn't come up. Oh, Surprisingly good. Surprising. Yeah. That's not surprising. That's, that sounds about right. No, same thing for me. It's like even singing it. It's like you, 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 the visual of that moment of that, of, of, of that birth, you know, exactly the cold winter's night, you know, just, um, and like the peacefulness of the manger and him while there's, you know, noise and people and everything going on outside. But yet, you know, here in this moment, it's quiet and peaceful and, uh, like I just exactly the the song is just tells this beautiful story and it's to me it's like very visual like I can really imagine being a witness in that moment uh, and the simplicity of you know the melody yeah. and you know and how it is repetitive and I think that's what makes a lot of you know like worship songs great or the simple ones honestly right. people that can they can sing it they can follow along they know even if they don't know the words of the next verse they know how the melody goes because it's a simple melody and so people can really you know grab onto that and that to me yeah like some of the best songs are the simplest songs quite right. honestly yeah and I, this is one of them i had never really reflected on that before how it is i know it's simple and put that in the notes but the the simplicity of it actually lets you as a listener you can kind of put your what's going to happen next brain, you can turn it off yeah, and you can just let what's happening wash over you. I think with worship music, like you said, Christina, sometimes you don't know the song and it's, you're tripping yourself up. Like I got to get the words and the yeah. melody at the same time versus this where it's, it's easy to remember. It gets in there fast and then you can just let whatever's happening in the song really, really get inside. And I, I, I never thought about it that way. I also never thought about it as a folk song. I think that's really rad. It really yeah. gives me, you know, as, as I've said many times on the podcast, gives me some Springsteen vibes, just kind of tell, <laughs> telling the story, giving me, giving me just like a really visceral experience of what it was like to be there. I, I love that, man. This is this. We, we picked the right song for this week. So we're going to listen to it. Uh, I went through a lot of versions, no NSYNC version. Sorry, Michael. Uh, this <laughs> band city church thing, rock city. Have you heard of this before? No. Yeah, I went through Spotify. A lot of people will cut most of the verses of the song. It's usually really short. I mean, right. it's a shorter than the actual song. It's only four verses in the writing of it. And most people only do two verses. But this is by a band called Rock City. I just thought it was a really pretty version of the song. Mm -hmm. I think, Michael, we've talked about like the Phil Wickhamification of a lot of these songs where they have to make it like kind of hokey and have like a different melody or different words. Mm -hmm. I like this one because it did not do that. So we'll play it and then uh, we yeah. will talk about it. So this is Rock City's version of... I almost said, oh, holy night. I've done this every single week. I'm like, what song are we doing again? Because <laughs> it always has like night or something like that in there. But this is Rock City's version of the first Noel. Noel, the angel 
That version it's pretty i i i chose it you know i, I said before because it is very straightforward and it doesn't you know make it all i'm doing the little jig dance you know but i think if i was at church and out of the sermon on christmas eve they went into something like this i think mm-hmm. i would really have a strong reaction to the christmas story where this really christine like you said it really invites you into just kind of experience it what do you guys think of this song I liked it. I, I, I like, I like how he added a little bit of creativity with some of the phrasing, um, but not too much. Right. Um, it was cool that it was just his voice and the harmonies were actually with the the strings and the other instruments, but no other, no other vocalists. That was kind of cool. Yeah. It's nice. Michael. Um, loved it. I loved that version of the song. I'd never heard that. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about this. Like, it only has 116,000 plays on, and I say only, but like, it's not super popular. It's not like one you see a lot. I, I, like I said, I went through a bunch yesterday to find one that felt the most worshipful, and I really, I, I love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also really liked that there weren't harmonizing vocals. Um, it just felt very kind of stark and personal. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and then I would, I, I know it's small, but I just like how he just one time in the song, he said praise to the King yeah. of Israel, like kind of turns it to this worshiping posture. It's a bridge between the classic and then the worship, you know, it's, yes. it, it turns from a classic song to a corporate worship song right. when you do something like that. Like, like you said, an injunction to worship, which also would be a great name for eras next time we do it. Just FYI. <laughs> um, I went on Spotify and I was just looking at other famous versions of the song. Frank Sinatra has a version. Do you guys familiar with that one? No, neither am I. <laughs> All right, there you go. I've Car- probably heard it. Carrie Underwood, probably, probably heard it. Josh Groban, Lady A, oh, yeah. Pentatonix. So this is like a really popular song. And I think yeah. it is because it's, so simple and evocative and the history of it, you know, as, as I gather my notes, pretty interesting. You know, you have a, uh, some people who say the lyrics have existed since the 13th century, which is really fascinating to me that the lyrics are particularly old. I mean, it comes straight out of Luke chapter two, uh, but it really is found in the 1800s in a bunch of these books. We see a lot of, as we do this series, like bound copies of Christmas carols, one in 1823, one in 1833. But the one in 1871 is the one we still sing today. Uh, it was a version in a document called Carol's New and Old. And if you go on Wikipedia, the picture on Wikipedia for the first Noel is the actual page of that, which is pretty rad. Have you noticed that a lot of these songs, these books that contain these are like, you know, Carol's ancient and modern. Yes. Like new and old. Yes. And what's so funny about it is now they're all just old. They're all just old. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think we'll get to that. Old we'll and get, old. We'll get to that yeah. because I have a question specifically rooted in that idea because in that book, Carol's New and Old, it was a guy named John Stainer and his friend, the Reverend H.R. Bramley. They met in college and uh, Stainer was blind in one eye. He was an organist, a very decorated musicologist. And Bramley was just a reverend. He would just like never married. He just loved the church. And they were really good friends. When Stainer got his high education degree, I don't think it was a PhD in musicology, Bramley put the robes on him. Like that's Mm. how close they were. They were very, very, very connected. Uh, And they just really bonded over music. And they put this document, this book together, Carol's New and Old, and a lot of scholars look back and say that they are credited to reviving the genre of Christmas carols because in that book, you find all of the contemporary versions of What Child Is This, God Rest You, Merry Gentlemen, Good King Wenceslas, The First Noel, and I Saw Three Ships. So I, I said this in the notes, but I believe it. Like They essentially developed the Rosetta Stone of Christmas carols that we still sing today. Wow. I thought that was really, really interesting. And in it the is. midst of all of that, nobody knows who really wrote this song. Uh, it could have been a guy named Davies Gilbert. Uh, he wrote a lot of other songs, like songs we don't sing today, but I really had fun looking at some of them. He had wrote a song, this guy Davies Gilbert wrote a song called The Lord at First Did Adam Make. And then When God First Created Man. And it's like, okay, dude, we get it. You love the story of Adam. Like, you keep doing that. But he also has a song called When Jesus Christ Was 12 Years Old. And this song is what you would call a massive conjecture about what Jesus was like at 12 years old. Uh, Some lyrics in that song are, When Jesus Christ Was 12 Years Old. As holy scripture plainly told, he then disputed brave and bold among the learned doctors. So I guess like 12 year old Jesus is anti-medicine. Like he's just out here not going to the doctor, I guess. Uh, It's just a bizarre song. And I think you have a lot of hymns like that that are just trying to like artistically fill in the gaps of scripture. Yeah. And I think the fact that they are 
kind of bizarre means we don't sing them today. That's they why we don't sing they them. Yeah. yeah. No one's like, man, I, my camp, you know, I went to junior high winter camp. And then when the, when the guy did Jesus Christ, 12 years old, that's <laughs> when I really gave my life to the Lord. Like that was such a moment for me. But yeah, you have tons of fragments across history of this song, but yeah, this version is the one we still sing today. And so Michael, you brought this up already and I want to kind of loop back to it. The, then 200 years ago, 300 years ago, almost, you know, this was, Christmas songs, new and old. In 200 years, what songs do you guys think we're going to still be singing? Well, I think most of the songs we've done on this podcast yeah. for the last three years will probably still be. They'll stand sung. the test of time. I mean, they have so far. And now it's so like ubiquitous with Christmas. It's just when you think about Christmas, the all of these are in the bucket. And they, yes. And like they get preserved because they're they're you only get a taste of them for a month. That's true. So it's, it, I feel yeah. like Christmas has this like, I don't know, it, like it, it almost feels like a time capsule that you, you get to open up every year and then everyone's just so stoked because, you know, it's, it is a thing when you go out to your shed and you pull out your Christmas box and you open it up and it's yep. so frustrating to go out there and get it. But once you get it, once it's in the house and you open it up, it's like you're opening up just cinnamon sticks like it's just the best <laughs> it's just the best thing yeah it's like a time that's oh, really it well put. it's it's all the memories you yeah. know it's 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 the decorations you've collected from your childhood you know all the way you know and every ornament as you're hanging it oh i remember yep. when we got this one. Oh, and that's you know that you know there's a story attached to every item yeah. you know are you guys like stack the tree with as many ornaments as possible to relive all of those memories or are you guys like okay i can leave this one off this year I try to fit on it. I like a well fully decorated. I don't I don't want to see the tree. I want to see all the ornaments <laughs> and the lights. That's awesome. So yes, it, it's at least twelve hundred lights that I string on every branch by you know, by hand. Oh <laughs> have, my like, gosh. Yes. I have ornaments from my grandmother, uh nice. you know, that she brought over from Europe. Like I yeah. Crazy. And you're a real tree family, it sounds I, like. Uh, no, actually. <laughs> Oh for years, gosh. forever, we have been a real tree family. Family, and then during COVID, I was like, I want the tree up for like three months. Yeah, I and we can't have a real tree, and I'm tired of watering the tree because no one waters the tree except for me. And then you miss one day, and then the tree's dead. That's yeah, it. Everything very just falls. Game over. Very unforgiving. It's unforgiving. Exactly. And you miss the one day. That's it. It's game over. And so I'm like, I want an artificial tree now because I want to keep the tree up for as long as I want to. And I don't want to water it. I'm tired of watering yeah, it. So, we're yeah. A, we're a fake tree family as well. We just, when we want to put it up, we put it up and it's really nice. We don't yeah. have to brave the crowds. It's because when we first got married, Megan and I were trying to be really frugal. So we went to an unnamed nursery. I won't name the name in case anybody listens. Home Depot or? Nope, not Home oh, Depot. Okay. It, was, it was a little bit more. <laughs> that was us. A little Depot. bit oh. more mom and pop. And you buy the tree and then if you buy the stand, it's like a discount because you can bring uh. your stand back every year. Well, this is their proprietary stand. You cannot oh. put this stand on other Christmas trees because I've tried. So the next year after we're married for a year, I'm like, I'm going to go get a cheaper tree. So I go get a cheaper tree. And they have a special drill bit that drills their stand into trees. And so oh. I'm like, I can figure it out. And I have never been more frustrated in my life. The drill, our first drill that we had when we were married, it's covered in sap. It's covered yeah. in dirt because of me just like, I think <laughs> the year that I tried to do it, the last year I tried to do it, Megan was like, she's like, I'm going to go for an hour. Like, I just think you need to handle that. Like, it was my hero's journey. I really <laughs> needed to get it in. And so ever since then, I'm like fake tree forever. I yeah. can never <laughs> deal with that again. It was horrible. <laughs> 
horrible. Well, and then horrible. the tree sap. The tree, it's impo- it's impossible to get it out of everything. everything. Yeah, <laughs> it, and that's a really horrible. Like that time capsule reminder. I want to leave in the but the ground. way it makes your house smell. And, I know. Oh, I, I agree. I'm, I'm good it's the with best. it. I'm good with it. I had to battle for years to like get the win over the family, and that was finally. And the, you never look back. You'll yeah. never look back. Honestly, <laughs> I never will look. I'll never be like I miss my real tree because it's just up. You know, we just put it up and it's okay. It's done now. Now, I, I think, Christina, you explained kind of how, what your ornament situation is. But how about you, Hunter? Like, I know we got to get back to the first Noel, but I are you guys a put any ornament up or is it are you guys a no, no, this has to look good. We are a so, you know, Megan, her mom is somebody who keeps a lot of things. She's a very like uh, I don't I don't say like tchotchke driven person because that makes her sound like a hoarder. But she has a lot of things from her life and her mom did crafts growing up. And so we have a lot of ornaments. And so over time, we have like winnowed her ornaments and my ornaments together to make like one amalgamation of our new life together. And even yesterday, Megan's mom was over at our house and she was like, oh, I'm glad you kept this ornament. But like, where's the other one? And I didn't have the heart to tell her, like, you know, your daughter's really ruthless. Like she'll cut an ornament fast and she'll cycle them. She'll cycle them throughout the year. And so to answer your question, Michael, we are thoughtful about it, but we don't overload. If if it okay. doesn't, if there's no kind of like existential ontological purpose, we won't put it up. If we can't justify it, whatever, we'll keep it down. And it happens every year. Like we have one ornament, and I'm sure you guys have this, like 2017, 2018, it's like a picture from that year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, 2018, not, didn't like that picture. It's not making it. <laughs> 2019 was great. We'll keep that one up. You know, so that's, that's like Survivor. You've yeah. been voted off the island. Yeah, honestly, honestly. <laughs> Hand and, me your torch. <laughs> and like the Pixar brain in me is like, then I put them back in the box and they talk to each other. Yeah. Like, oh, he didn't make it this year. No, <laughs> not this year. Megan was in that. a mood when she put the, uh, that was us last year. And then. It, uh, this is a Christmas yeah. movie. We'll, we can write this movie later. The, the big oversized kid ones, I have a separate tree for yeah. where I put all the... <laughs> like a kid's tree, like a kid's table. Like all the school tree. projects and yes. they come home with like the 10 foot high candy cane that's laminated, that's made out of paper and glitter. Yep. And like, yep. I'm like, that goes on the kid's tree. So, and then we have the... the the living room tree, Smart. which we collect mostly, I, I collect mostly glass ornaments. So yeah. it is mostly glass it's ornaments. Classy. Yeah, and and I buy one for each of the kids. So when they go off and start their own family, they're gonna they're gonna leave with a whole bunch of beautiful glass ornaments that mean something to them. And that's they sweet. Can, that's so cool. that's kind of my little gift to them. That's what my mom did to me too. So yeah, you know. and I back to your point about the things that kids bring home. I think teachers should be punished for this. <laughs> the amount of stuff I have from like kindergarten through like fourth grade of just like the. I, I'm really hesitant to say this because we've been getting a lot of flack for how critical we've been on the podcast lately, but the amount of just nonsensical stuff, like here's two toothpicks and a cotton swab and now it has sentimental value because like I made it when I was three and has to go on a tree taking the space of something I really want to put up there. Like, come on, come on. And Michael, you're in the throes of this right yes. now. Okay. Our, let me yes. just say this. I'm, I don't disagree with you, Hunter. Thank you. But you, I will say, so you're like, saying right now, on I record, will say, teachers should be punished. Well, what I'm saying is that half of the things my kids bring home are really meaningful, and the other half are absolutely the opposite direction. Like, yeah. yes, like it's like okay, this is another thing to you know make it through the day. Um, oh boy! Uh, but I, but what I will say is, our I think our strategy with the tree is just load it with as many po- things as possible so that when the kids take things off and break them, <gasps> we still have enough. To- you say when that's a common thing. Oh, it's every oh day. My gosh. Dude. Every day. Your it's- house does sound like mayhem at Christmas time. Oh, it sounds Sequoia, awesome. Sequoia like hugs the tree. He jumps into the tree. He's- <laughs> 
like a little lumberjack. A little evil Knievel, a little Christmas evil <laughs> Knievel. A little lumberjack. That's cute. That's cute. Well, thanks for that. That was a fun rabbit hole to go down. But we have serious business to talk about, which is okay. the first in a while. So we Got talked to. about 200 years, what songs people will be singing. You think all of these. And so then the question becomes, what makes a Christmas song last? I mean, a little bit like the ornaments. Like, is it the meaning that we put in there? Is it the nostalgia that we put in there? Is it just like the content of the song? What makes a Christmas song last throughout the ages? I think it's changed over time because mm-hmm. I think what it used to be would, would have been like, is it played in the church commonly and how widespread has it gotten across culture and the content of the, both the content of the lyrics mixed with the, the singability of the tune, right? That's what it would have been. Now in, in like mod, modern cult, culture, you have like last Christmas, right? Which is a bop. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's like, just get stuck in your head forever. Like I, yeah. I love that song, but it's, I mean, there's nothing really about the words that you're, that you're like really jamming on. It's just like yeah. such a good tune. I disagree. Cause I think there is a piece of Christmas. Like we talk about, we've recorded the episode. It comes out next week about how Christmas is complex for people. And I think yeah. that last Christmas as poppy and as fun as it is can kind of give a little bit of language to somebody who has experienced some sort of tragedy or I mean, a heartbreak, heartbreak yeah. exactly romantic, true. romantic pitfall. So I would say that last Christmas for somebody like people like us, like it's just a fun song to listen to and I love it, but there's somebody out there, probably somebody listening. Who's like, no, that song really helped me one December when that person broke my heart. I just feel like it's yeah. like, there's, there's, there's a lot of engagements and a lot of breakups. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Around the holidays. And it's, it, we put this holy circle around Christmas of I like, can't, you know, can't do something stupid on Christmas. So I bet the 26th is when a lot of breakups happen. Yeah. I can't break up with her on Christmas cause it's Christmas. So I'll, I'll wait till the next day. Yeah. I just have no answer as to what makes like, like last Christmas last to now. Like it was great when it came out. Mm-hmm. Of course it's still great. I still, I love the song. But I feel like why has it lasted to now? That's I don't, the question have, an, I'm I don't have the answer for that. Well, let's discuss it because Last Christmas, I think, is a really good example of a song. If it was called like Last Wednesday, right? If it was just like an innocuous breakup song, the same melody, the same chords, the same production, George Michael singing it, would it be a hit for Wham? Or is it because it's a Christmas song, it's become so popular? I think it's, well, it's because it's a Christmas song for sure. And it gets played, again, it's in the time capsule, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I feel like that's, because um, Wham is not in popular culture at all anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not that they're nobody, but again, well, they're not. Well, and then Taylor re- recorded it too, and they did. play oh, that true. a lot. She did, play and that, well, yeah, yeah. And if she touches it, it's going to turn to gold. Yeah. yeah. But like, I don't know. I just feel like, like you don't hear much about Wham anymore, but you, you definitely, this song is... Very much in the Christmas zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you said something. We, we kind of have come to this of like Christmas songs last when they fill a specific need that Christmas brings up. Like you need a Christmas breakup song because Christina, like you said, people get broken up with mm-hmm. at Christmas. You need a simple folk song about the birth of Jesus because like you need to get that information out there somehow. Right. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. And again, I think that the the outlier to this is all I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> Cause it's, uh, yeah. it takes all of the normal Christmas standards and just does them again. Mariah Carey sings it. The lyrics are uh, of course meaningless. And I would, I would say that more about that than last Christmas, but that song just has stood the test of time. So do you think we'll be singing that song? Which is kind years? of funny. Cause that's not an easy song to sing. No, of course not. It's Mariah a hard Carey, song yeah, to sing. You know a, what I mean? It's like crazy. it's Mariah Carey. Like, 
people don't cover a lot of her songs because no. like you can't cover her range. Yeah, she's insane. She's got yeah. those whisper notes up really, really, really high. But do you think we'll be singing that song in 200 years? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I want to say yes because it's so yeah. like because, like a you part said, Christmas, it, yeah, it's it's in it's in the it's in the time capsule. Yeah. It's in the time capsule, but two hundred years though. I know that's yeah. a long time, but do you think that when you know Stainer and Bramley are putting this book together, they're like two hundred years from now, people are going to be singing the exact versions of these songs? I, I feel like we are less though a culture now than we've ever been of like reverence. Mm. Yeah. And I think these songs had a reverence that was tied to them that yeah. I don't think um all I want for Christmas is you has. All I want for Christmas Christmas is you has not, I'm I'm not saying that it doesn't have a following or that it doesn't have a like people that love it. But of I course. think here's the deal. My kids have no clue who Mariah Carey is and and they prob when they're my age, they probably won't care. Like it's not, they're not going to be like, oh, Mariah Carey's so great when they're my age. Right. Um, but I remember when she was on top and when she mm -hmm. was just amazing. So I, I don't know. I feel like today it's, it's almost like fighting words to say that it's not going to last for 200 years, but I kind of think, I don't know. There's not a reverence to Mariah Carey that comes with these, these ancient hymns. Do we think that all Christmas songs need to have a sense of reverence then? No. No, but I do think if we're just talking about staying power, hmm. if we're just talking about staying power, I think reverence is part of what took these songs for 200 years and kept them alive and will keep them alive for 200 more. And I think reverence is one of the most foundational human feelings, right? And you yeah. can never escape that. Like we could be the most over digitalized culture like AI could take over and whatever and it's going to and that's fine and if you're listening to this robots <laughs> you win I like you you're fine but like we'll always have a sense of reverence in us like and that's something that yeah. you can't take away and I think that's what you're saying Michael like when the song taps into that common human emotion that common human feeling of reverence and the desire we want to feel that as well like we want to experience reverence we want to have that sense of awe and when a song can lead us into that it'll last forever because that feeling is something we will always have Okay, I want to say something um, that'll get us get us more close to the first Noel, but but also has to do with this. We're talking about the first Noel. Okay, Here, here's what I, here's what I want to say. I think, and I've talked a lot. I I think that what's interesting about the first Noel is that it, it in kind of almost a meta way, it is a Christmas song that you sing during Christmas that is talking about the first Christmas. So it's it's this. It's this it, like reverence is baked into the song itself. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of let's let's look back at something that's important that has existed that we should hold in high regard. And let's look back at that and remember that mm. the song itself is reverence. That's what it's doing. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I no, think that's, that's right. That's a really great, great point. I think you're right. The, the, the message is the medium. The medium is the message. Like the song is reverent because it's supposed to draw you into that sense of reverence. Yeah, Christina, for you as somebody who sings, how often are you experiencing reverence and that feeling of like awe and wonder as you're singing? Can you put that on while you're trying to lead people or are you consumed oh, yeah. with trying to get people to that experience that you can't get into that yourself? No, I think the that's where preparation comes in, you know, into play, you know, as, as a worship leader of like, you, you need to be prepared. You need to, you know, have your music down. You have to know what you're going to be doing, you know, and be solid vocally so that you can worship in the moment. Mm. Um, you know, like Sunday singing, you know, Oh, come all ye faithful. Like I, I was worshiping in that moment, 
you know, and I, and I think, and I think you can tell. I think a congregant can tell if you're just singing the songs, Absolutely. or if you're trying to be vocally excellent and you're not worshiping. It comes across. Like yeah. you can hear it, you can feel it, you can see it. That it's not an, a sincere worshiping moment. And I really try to strive for that as a worship leader. You know, when I do sing, of just like being in that, having done my homework in preparation, so that I can be feel freely worship and be that you know, uh, worship host. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And I, I think that kind of leads me to my next thought of this song we've said a couple times is simple. Is it easier to do that? What you just mentioned, like be the worship host. Is it easier to do that when it's an easier song? Hmm. When there's less to keep in your head. Again, it comes down to preparation. It's mm. just, you know, be prepared. If it's a more difficult song, then you have to put more time into it. Right. You know, put more time into it so you're ready on Sunday. Yeah. I, I was, mean, that's how I see it. I was thinking the exact same thing. I, I just feel like what I, what I like to say, and, and I know, Christina, you and I have talked about this before, like um, part of our job as worship leaders and worship pastors is to go before the congregation in worship to be worshiping prior to yes. our time so that we are taking people where we've gone before instead of trying to take people where we've not gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's if you have spent time with the song enough so that you could find worship Absolutely. in it throughout the week, then then likely you can lead people there um, because you're already there. Um, but if if you're for the first time trying to approach the throne with this new song and crazy lyrics that are hard to yeah. hard to engage with on the Sunday when people are experiencing it, it's going to be more tough. I think to yeah, be it's like there. being the tour guide and you get lost on the tour, you know, <laughs> and everyone's following you around. Like you don't know where we are. Right. You want, yeah. you want to, you want to understand the key points of, of, of that worship song in that moment and lead people to the important moment to understand the lyrics, understand what you're singing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that you can convey that to everyone else of like, this is where we're going. And this is the moment in the song where I want you to really experience what this, you know, what we're doing, what we're saying to, to the Lord, if we're singing to him or if we're being reflective, you know, whatever type of song it is of like, you know, you got to know, you got to know where that is. And you have to know how as a vocalist, you're going to lead them you know, to that, to that moment. So they can experience that and understand the meaningness of why we picked this song on this Sunday to sing. I, yeah. I mean, that, you know? that's your job in a nutshell. I mean, yeah, Christina can do it. It sounds like. Michael. Yeah. She's pretty great. <laughs> so, so Matt Redman is my favorite worship leader. Um, and he has a phrase that it's just a small little tweak that I love that I think speaks to this. He, he says that, that he prefers the term, lead worshiper over worship leader yeah because there's this idea that our job as the lead worshiper is to go out ahead leading in worship um we're not leading others in worship but not but then leaving ourselves out like a worship leader but Mm -hmm. more you you just flip that around i'm the lead worshiper and i like that that flip i mean it's it's small and simple absolutely but i I think it gets to the heart of what you're saying there and I've, i've talked about this i think on the podcast before about like we're obsessed with the idea of an expert and like as American Christians, like the pastor needs to be the smartest person in the room. The worship leader needs to be the best musician, but we hold people to such a high standard that when the pastor comes and says like, this is a really challenging passage for me. This is something that is affecting me. This is something that I wrestle with the congregation. If they have such a high view of the pastor, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. But if you see your leaders as people who are just like you, just called to a different part of the church, Mm -hmm. 
it becomes such a human experience. I think it's really beautiful. And and to loop it back to the first Noel, Christina, you're talking about preparation and if it's a complex song, take your time, do your homework because you want to lead people to that. And right. I, I, I agree with that. And I think with this song, the reason it's simple is because it is the most foundational truth about something that people need to hear. And to over explain, to make that complex, yeah. you are going to turn people away at the door, essentially. Yeah. Versus a song that's so simple and easy and the lyrics are easy to understand and they're easy to grasp and you can get a sense of awe and reverence. I think the reason it's simple is so that for you guys who lead us in this song, you don't have to do the work. You can just come and you can model to us how simple it is to believe in Jesus yeah. at, out of the gate, you know? And then as somebody who maybe walks into church for the first time and never heard this story, I'm like, oh, I get it. Yep. There's not much more to understand. There's not much more that I have to grasp to understand how important this first Noel is. So that's why I think this song is great because mm -hmm. it it is like so many things wrapped up in a very small package, which is really cool for a Christmas song. And we've talked about like with the silent night last week, like how ornate some Christmas songs are, how complex they are. And it's a breath of fresh air for a song to convey so much with just so little. Okay. I am curious though that line on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious, like there's two interpretations in my mind as to what that could be saying. And there's probably, I'm probably wrong on both, but what I've always felt it to be saying is like, Hey, on this cold winter's night, it, something deep was really happening. Like something mm. under the surface, something big and deep and important was rumbling under the surface of everything. Um, that's the way I've normally thought of it. But then I've also thought of it as like, it was really, really cold. It was deeply cold, like that that kind of idea as well. Um, and I'm not sure which of the two, but if it's the first one, which is what I suspect, uh, it's just funny that the song is like saying like, hey, this is important. Like it's like the lyric mm -hmm. is like basically saying, hey, listen to this lyric because it's important. I have horrible news for you. Okay, well, okay, what's the horrible news? It's the second one. It's the cold. Yeah, it's just so deeply cold. In some of the earlier versions of the song, it's on a cold winter's night with snow so deep. Oh. And then even in the earlier versions, uh, in a cold winter's night when the snow was so deep. So they just took out hmm. the word snow. That makes me dislike it. <laughs> Not the whole song, but just that lyric. Yeah. But I mean, like, and this is kind of a place where we can end. Like, you have the song that normally is just like two verses, a couple choruses, but we have here all of the lyrics and it's funny because a lot of these songs cut all the lyrics, but we talk about the simplicity of a song and how important the song is. And I'm looking at the lyrics. I'm like, is it actually that important? And then you get to the, the ninth verse and then here, here are the words we never sing. If we in our time shall do well, we shall be free from death and hell for God hath prepared a way for us all a resting place in general. In general? Yeah. In general. In general. <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, it's, okay. I mean, it's not, it's not like, the most eloquent rhyme, but I, I really like that language of it's a, it's yeah. a resting place for us in general. Like it's open. It's, it's something that's essentially like universal to all who believe in that. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's such an easy truth and such an, something that's so, so big. And it's just in that, that song, it's just four lines. I think this is an interesting counter. Like if you were to do an A side and a B side, the A side is the first Noel and the B sides hark the herald angels sing. <laughs> where A is like simple and it's like kind of the single version and you put it out and then B is like really meaty, really complex, a lot of incredibly deep theological things happening, but they're the same story, right? Oh, interesting. 
Oh, that's so that's yeah. an interesting thought. So that that's is an interesting thought. That's the first Noel and a lot of other things, Christmas trees, ornaments, town capsules and whatnot. And so I want to <laughs> I want to end with this question for you guys. What do you think the second Noel was like? If this was the first one, what do you think the second one was like? That's such a hard question. There's no song about it. We can write it right now. We could ask ChatGPT to write the second Noel. I mean, Mary was probably pulling her hair out because Jesus just kept waking up in the middle of the night. He was hugging the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Ruining and all the ornaments. Jumping on Christmas trees and yeah. Knocking over the Hanukkah candles, probably. Yeah, probably. Probably. That was probably That's it. it. Knocking Blow, over blowing the them out. <laughs> yeah. I'm rare. blowing them all out. <laughs> Being That's a toddler. <laughs> real first one-year-old energy. All right, so I asked Chat GPT to write a Christmas song called The Second Noel, Like the First Noel. So, in the quiet night, the, sn- the snow falls so bright, a second Noel, a tale to recite. Gentle carols ring as the angels sing. The second Noel, let the joy take wing. The second Noel, a story to tell. In echoes of love, the seasons spell. Gather around the fire, hearts lifted higher. The second Noel, a heavenly choir. Uh, the only problem is that I am looking at these lyrics and Jesus is not mentioned once. <laughs> so when the AI overlords take over, we can, we can, us three, we can maybe get in with them and say, like, hey, I'm more Jesus to your Christmas songs. Yes. People like them more. Is my AI bot Christian? I mean, I have to like, are they saved? There has to be a uh, Christian bot out there. There's gotta be a Christian bot out yeah. there. Oh, for sure. For sure. For Make sure. it into heaven with us. Yeah. We get up to heaven one day and it's just like, Beep, boop, bop, bop. Like, nice, exactly. <laughs> what what is that AI bot to look like? <laughs> well, Christina, thank you so much for jumping on. This was thank a really fruitful me. conversation. Michael, I'll give you a 10. Thanks, buddy. Aww. I really appreciate that. I mean, after now having done a billion and a half, a of lot these, of these, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you finally warmed up to me. Yeah, it took a little bit, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and hey, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to Merry all you Christmas. listening and uh, enjoy Enjoy your time. And as you are picking out the ornaments, think of us. Think of us and say, would, would those three put this ornament on the tree? Some would, some wouldn't. And, you know, that's your challenge. And we'll see you every Christmas ornament tree decorating party. And everyone after that, what do I, how do I say that? I don't know, I don't know how you yeah. say that, but Whatever. yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Thanks, bye. <laughs>